Welcome to Dynasty Life. I'm Theo Greminger, back with another big episode. Redraft ends, but Dynasty is life. And I guess Dynasty Life's getting to be a little old in the in the Dynasty streets here because I'm having a repeat guest. Ian Miller is one of my only repeat guests uh, so far on this show. Jax Falcone, I believe, is my first re- repeat uh, guest. And now Ian is back on Dynasty Life. So I guess we did something good last time, but Ian is... One of the sharpest guys I know when it comes to dynasty theory, dynasty evaluations, and he's been very, very strong with his rookie class uh, content. Uh, he's dropped a lot of it. He's got a big time Patreon you should follow. Uh, Ian joined uh, Matty Keywoman and I recently on a future cast uh, mock draft where we we mock draft this 2024 class. Um, but I want to really dive into the streets with you today. How are you doing today, Ian? Welcome back to Dynasty Life. Fantastic. I mean, that's elite company to be a part of in terms of repeat guests. So yeah, I'm absolutely excited to be here. We got Ryan McDowell as a repeat guest coming up. So like, you know, I'm not messing around with, with, you know, repeat guests. You got to bring the heat the first time around. I'm just joking. I've, I've been very fortunate with the guests on dynasty life. Um, a big shout out to Ray Garvin that, that episode just dropped. Uh, if you didn't listen to that one, go ahead and give it a, a listen. It was really, really good. Um, but today we're talking a little bit of 2024 rookie class. But not really. This show might make you very, very uncomfortable to listen to. We are talking about sell highs. And basically, a a theory behind selling a player at their peak dynasty value. Occasionally, this can be a crushing blow to you. But sometimes it can reap big, big, big rewards. And I've I've been DMing with Ian. Uh, You know, we have some players we're going to talk about that might make some people literally sick to their stomach to hear us even discussing trading them. But before we get it started, Ian, I got to ask you a couple evergreen questions. I ask all my guests here. When we podcasted right here on Dynasty Life uh, in season, it was like week nine, week 10. We have a lot more sample size to talk about here. The season's over. Super Bowl's over. Who was your biggest dynasty dynasty surprise this year in a positive way? You can't say Puka Nakua, but somebody who really surprised you with either their strong play or a guy, you know, that maybe came out of nowhere. Uh, somebody you walk away from the season saying, wow, that was awesome. I think, and this one's kind of easy, especially because you didn't let me say Puka. I think it's got to be CJ Stroud. And I know we're about to talk about CJ Stroud, but especially when we talk about rookie quarterbacks, like the whole idea is you don't want to expect too much from them. The value's pretty safe. I mean, Bryce Young had like the worst rookie quarterback season nearly ever. And when you look at his dynasty value, he's still in the top 15 quarterbacks, not counting rookies. Like the value is pretty safe, even if you don't get much from him. But CJ Stroud comes aboard and this wasn't the number one pick. In fact, even leading up to the draft, I remember I got pretty good odds on betting CJ Stroud to go second overall because there was the whole Will Levis thing. So to go all the way from that to having the third highest rookie points per game from a quarterback ever, only or fourth, only trailing Cam Newton. Justin Herbert and Robert Griffin III, like that no one saw this coming as much as you like CJ Stroud, who was a good prospect, whether you didn't like him, like absolutely no one saw this level of historic rookie season coming from CJ Stroud. I love it. And you're you're not the first person to say CJ Stroud. What a dynamite pick for you to make in your rookie drafts last year, especially in Superflex. I mean, it was like almost like found money. CJ Stroud will now be a top five. Superflex dynasty startup pick this year. And last year, if you were taking him in, in dynasty startups, I mean, there were leagues where he was like a third rounder 
in, in super flex dynasty startups. And now you're going to have to take him in the top five. He's a meteoric riser, but it's not all like fun and games. We don't get everything right. And in dynasty, when we make mistakes, it gets amplified sometimes forever, especially if it's in a rookie draft, but even in a dynasty startup, it's like a sliding doors where you could go back and change one pick. Sometimes that can change the trajectory of your fantasy success for like five years to come. And when it comes to the dynasty streets, who was a player that was a massive disappointment for you? Either a guy that you were pumping or a guy that like maybe you and Josh Larkey uh, were high on and just disappointed you big time. Well, we've already talked about Bryce Young and we know that's fine. Like that, that's Bryce Young, but it doesn't give me as uh, disappointed heading into year two as Quentin Johnston does. <laughs> I mean, even no matter how you felt about him, we're talking about a first round rookie, even if that's whatever, you know, you want to base uh, your prospecting on is that he was a first round prospect for a first round prospect. He was absolutely putrid. And then you add in the fact that there was a lot of boxes that he checked off. I mean, he was, he was productive every season at TCU. He was a top 25 pick. He declared early for the draft for what his senior season, he checked a lot of boxes and even if you were on the lower end of Quentin Johnston, we're t- still talking about an average draft position of around 107-ish last year in rookie drafts. And now the guy is, I mean, we're talking about on Fantasy Trade Calc, one of the sites I use for consensus value. He's wide receiver 55, and I'm yelling sell. Like, get out of it now. And to be that level of disappointment is, is pretty pretty brutal from last year. You know, Josh, I know Josh was also high on him. Uh, he he got a lot of people. And I think that like he was it was a guy where we talked about like the contingent upside. You heard the word contingent upside over and over again. If this guy gets hurt and this guy gets hurt, Quentin Johnson to the moon, and it ends up not being able to pass Josh Palmer by a guy who was a third round pick who's, you know, a jag talent wise. Do you buy into the notion that Jim Harbaugh arriving in Los Angeles gives him a life preserver? Or do you buy into the fact that it makes you even more pessimistic on Quentin Johnston because Jim Harbaugh has no connection to him whatsoever, and he'll look at him not as a guy who the franchise um, put a first-round uh, value on, but as a guy who's just there, and I don't really owe any anything to him. I'm, I want to get my guys out on the field. I think the hope is that general consensus does find optimism with Jim Harbaugh, and I do like that they continue finding optimism in these horrible rookie years where you know second year could break out he's still with justin herbert and i'm all for people posting that on twitter rising a little bit of the value up because i i don't see it typically when we talk about rookie seasons of this magnitude even when we're talking similar-esque prospects there's not too much success you can find like yes everyone can point to Devonte adams and be like look how terrible he was as a rookie and now he's him but we're talking about when we talk about Devonte adams we're talking about a pretty rare outcome to be that bad as a rookie to then produce to be what Devonte Adams ended up being. And that's not a bet that I want to take at Quentin Johnston, especially when there's still value attached. Like we're talking upside, realistic upside. Like maybe we're hopeful in a way that he's Ted Ginn Jr. You know, first round draft pick, very uh, unloving first season, not a whole lot to like there. Similar peripherals. And, you know, you got a 12 plus point per game season out of him during his career. That's kind of the upside, it feels like, in terms of realistic upside that we're talking about with Quentin Johnston. And if I could sell out of that, even if it's like a Jerry Judy, a even 
a little Dontavian Wicks plus, a Demario Douglas plus, who actually showed something, there's a better hit rate or a better probability that those guys will be good heading into year two and beyond than rookie Quentin Johnston, who was abysmal. Yeah, it's it's really funny because Ian's telling you to trade a first-round draft pick for a sixth-round draft pick plus. Just shows you kind of the depths he's fallen. I'll go sight unseen. I think that there's a Quentin Johnston, enough Quentin Johnston-like believers that you could maybe get somebody to bite on a random single QB second rounder uh for this year i'll say this 209 or quentin johnson in single qb uh 209 okay and, i mean i'm trying to get out 303 or quentin johnson and single qb yes i might just hang on to johnston because of that you know optimism yeah. from other people that you know all it takes is a few training camp videos or something during you know right before the season for you to actually get something a little more worthwhile than a one qb third but I'm not going to lie, Superflex, I, I think I might actually take that early third for Quentin Johnston. So, but I will say I, I, I got out of a Quentin Johnston share feeling rather good. A few weeks ago, I traded him for Geno Smith. Um, I was actually offered two things, a 209 in Superflex, Geno in, uh, in Superflex for Quentin Johnston. I like both the deals, but yeah, I ended up taking Geno Smith. And I mean, that's that's probably the best I'll get out of Quentin Johnston, I'd like to think. Geno Smith and Superflex for Quentin Johnson is like stealing right now, Ian. I mean, there's yeah, really no, like no scenario. There's no scenario where like Seattle has a different QB this year. Year you might have a short-term Geno window, but at like the very least, you probably have a year, uh, a year solid with Geno. Hard to imagine Seattle going in another direction. So I love that trade. I had a trade last year in a FFPC tight end premium format where I moved Dallas Goddard and Quentin Johnston, and I got back Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, that one was was very, very uh, beneficial to me uh, to like drive my team during the regular season. Of course, Pittman got hurt, hurt me in the playoffs, but I'll take that trade all day long right now. Um, we want we're gonna talk about a couple of our, you know, favorite sell high candidates. But I have an interesting trade that was uh, sent over to me by Curtis Patrick of Rotoviz. Really interesting one that he posted on Twitter. Kyron Williams, a late third a late fourth and an additional third in 2025. So Kyron and, you know, basically two thirds, let's ignore the fourth for T Higgins and the 204 this year. And it's in super flex. So T Higgins and the 204 for Kyron Williams, the 312 and a 2025 third. What's your initial gut shot reaction to who won that trade? Uh, and, I actually don't love Kyron Williams and I'm still going to side Kyron Williams because I actually think him and T Higgins are both kind of guys that I don't mind selling at current market value. But if I'm going to hang on to one of those guys, I think Kyron Williams is the best asset in that deal. And even if you know, you're worried about things, the upside for him is still another 20 plus point per game season. And I can't say the same about T Higgins. And yes, you're getting the 204 on top of it. You can take a shot kind of a 50, 50 upside level prospect, but you're also giving up, you know, the third and fourth. And I think that's close to equaling out. Obviously, you take the 204, but it's not enough for me to say I'd rather take T. Higgins, whose realistic upside, especially likely still in Cincinnati, is probably 14 points per game, middling wide receiver two, which doesn't help all that much when you're looking about warp winning championships, thing like that, where the upside with Kyron Williams is still being a 20 plus point per game score in Sean McVay's offense with Matthew Stafford and other solid weapons. 
I think that what I'm doing there, unless I'm just in total, I need to get rid of any risk. I'm not competing this year is the only way I see the T Higgins deal in terms of if I'd want it. Kyron Williams in a vacuum is the guy I want because even though I don't love him, the upside is still much, much higher in terms of winning championships. I'm with you. And it's one of those things where in Dynasty, like Ian and I talked about this a little bit, and part of the reason we're doing this sell high show is everybody's dropping these podcasts where it's like the sell high, buy low, but it's all kind of obvious guys. If everybody's telling you to sell Kyron Williams and you're not getting fair market price for him, then he sort of becomes a dynasty buy. And there's risk, inherent risk with with taking on any running back in dynasty uh, besides maybe five guys. There's maybe five or so running backs that we feel like we know exactly what they are. And then after that, there's a lot of variance between the low-end RB1s, the low-end RB2s. Um, It's kind of like a wider tier. Um, And then in terms of like longevity, you know, we think we know how long a running back will last, but the windows close rapidly. If I told you at this time, you like last year, that you'd want no Austin Eckler this offseason, it's a guy that you don't want really any of, um, then you'd probably say, I, I don't agree with that. Things happen. These guys lose value very quickly. But Kyron's super interesting. I'll throw out one more Kyron Williams trade for you. Single quarterback, the 112 and George Pickens or Kyron Williams? That's That's really tough. I think in a vacuum... I'll take Pickens in the 112, but I don't like either asset all that much to move off Kyron Williams to where if I feel like I can compete for a championship, I'm still going to take the Kyron Williams upside there. When I say Kyron Williams is a sell, for example, because I believe uh, that Kyron Williams is a sell, and you make a really good point. You can yell buys, you can yell sells, but you have to be able to compare it to something. I think a really good example is Ty J Spears in December and January. I was saying, and even a bit into November, and I have it on some, you know, Twitter receipts and stuff. Go buy this guy. Like, there's there's a lot of uh, upside in what he's doing. He's the only running back on the Titans other than Derrick Henry to take a touch uh, or a, a carry. Sorry, and I was saying buy him. He was valued at RB thirty three. The the upside in him, not even like going into the offseason, was like, okay, there's going to be so much where people could say Derrick Henry's gone. This guy looked good. Now we're going to vault him up. So you jump ahead of the curve there. Now I'm backpedaling a bit on Ty J Spears and not, not as much backpedaling, but his value has gone from RB 33 on fantasy trade count to RB 15 over the last couple months to where you went from Ty J Spears being equal to guys of like Jerome Ford type status to now he's side by side with a Josh Jacobs. Like there has to be something for you to compare what you're selling and buying. And I think that's a really good point with Kyron Williams. If I'm just getting assets where I feel like they'll fringely help me still find assets they should hold some value, but they're not going to help me win a championship as much as Kyron Williams upside. Where what I'm saying, Kyron Williams is a sell. You could sell him straight up for Devon A. Chain, who has a higher floor in the same ceiling. You could sell him for Saquon Barkley and get a little plus where you're still looking at pretty much the same ceiling. Those are the kind of sells when we say like buy, sell, comparing it to that. So it's all about what you get. I think you make a really good point there. And you don't just say a guy's a buy and a sell without saying what the value you're comparing, what you can actually get in return. I think that's a really good point, and Kyron Williams is a great example of that. Another thing that I think dynasty managers make mistakes on, Ian, is you play in a lot of dynasty leagues. I play in a lot of dynasty leagues, and I also speak to a lot of people that have a ton of skin in the game uh, and are high-volume players. If you speak to some of these pl- people that might have you know 20 dynasty teams plus, 
there are players that are buys and sells for you as a manager. I would say that there is a majority of players you can make an argument are buys and sells depending on your team context uh, for, for most dynasty managers. I mean, there's certain players who make sense for every kind of build. You know, if you have Garrett Wilson and you're rebuilding, there's really not like a reason to kind of like move off of him unless you need a bunch of picks. Uh, but there's a lot of these players make sense for some as sells and some as buys. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And even further back in your point, you know, when you're a high profile or dynasty player where you're in a lot of leagues, just because they're a sell doesn't mean you should sell every single share that you have. But you should definitely be mindful of, you know, the percentage that you're putting out in terms of the risk there. Like Kyron Williams, yes, we and I know we're using this point a lot. Like, yes, I think he's a sell. There's times where we've just talked about where you can be a buy. But there's also times where even if you're getting straight market value for him, and let's say I have five shares in 25 dynasty leagues, I'm, I'm not urging to sell all five shares. Like you still want to have some stake, some skin in the game with Kyron Williams because that upside still exists. So kind of just playing your playing to your portfolio as well as your team, super important. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, you might throw your phone out the window. You might smash your computer screen. Because some of the names we're going to talk about as Dynasty Cells might get you a little bit heated. Stick with us here at Dynasty Life. Now, I know many of you are looking for a secret weapon for your Dynasty League, and I have it. It's called the Dynasty Dominator app. You go to the App Store, go to Google Play. It's right there. It's $5 to download, and then every year it's $5 to load the next incoming class of rookies. You can... Add Superflex, add tight end premium. It's incredible because it allows you to look up players. It allows you to vote on whether a player is a buy, hold, or sell, and then see the market sentiment on that player. And you can compare their lifetime value rating from Player Profiler to their Dynasty ADP at the FFPC, all in the price lookup tool. And beyond that, we have a trade analyzer. So you'll never lose another Dynasty trade again. And in our settings, you can set this is a win now team. This is a rebuilding team. And then we let you compare players. Look at their metrics side by side. Prospect metrics, NFL metrics. It's all there. It's five bucks in the app store. There's some add-ons for Superflex and to buy the upcoming rookie class. Every year, you're going to spend $5 on this thing. And it's going to be well worth it. Welcome back to Dynasty Life. I'm Theo Greminger, joined by Ian Miller. And Ian, one thing that I like to do this time of year, you know, you, there's a bunch of, of websites that can kind of try to gauge the market, but Dynasty startup values are not really set. Most people are not doing a startup a couple days after the Super Bowl. We haven't had the NFL Combine yet, so people are still learning a little bit about, the, not you and me. I mean, I'm still learning about guys like, I guess, like Kamani Vidal like low, low, low level guys, but you, we're not talking, you know, you, I don't, Ian knows every single guy in this class. You're not a good, good reference, but the average uh, player does not know every single, you know, possible pick in his rookie drafts yet. There's or hurry rookie drafts yet. They're learning them. Uh, so I like to look at best ball rankings because underdog and FFPC have best ball tournaments and I can kind of get a gauge of the market. And Ian, the first thing that I see when I go on to underdog or FFPC is CD lamb has steamed up to the consensus one Oh two everywhere. And this is a guy that 
last year at this time, we would have been talking about him as potentially, potentially the wide receiver three in Dynasty. Most people had him somewhere in that three through five range. Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and then CeeDee Lamb was in the conversation. I'm not sure what you had last year, but I think I believe that's what we had at Player Profiler. He was our wide receiver three. Now he's steamed up to a point where he's going ahead of Justin Jefferson by two slots, ahead of Jamar Chase by three slots at the beginning of the draft. And there are dynasty rankings everywhere where CeeDee Lamb has steamed up to wide receiver one uh, overall in dynasty. He improved his receptions, excuse me, improved his target total by 35 this year at over 180 targets. He improved his receptions by 28 uh, and he had uh, 400 more receiving yards than he's ever had at any point in his career. And he caught three more touchdowns than at any point in his career. Finishes as a wide receiver one overall. Is this a guy that fits the bill as a sell high, as gross as it would feel to sell CD Lamb? Are we ever going to see him as like the 101 in Dynasty in a startup? I don't think it's totally egregious that CD Lamb's that high. I mean, we're talking about a guy that just put up 23.5 points per game. That's that's nearly like top five quarterback numbers. So, I mean, it's not that he's not almost deserving of this, but at the same time, when you look and you see he's four spots higher than Justin Jefferson, he's five spots higher than Jamar Chase, that seems a little crazy because we're talking about Justin Jefferson who left games early and was still a 20-point-per-game score after just his second season of posting 21.5 points per game. And the whole consensus was that Justin Jefferson might be the best wide receiver in the game heading into his third year. We're not that far removed from it. If I had C.D. Lamb, I actually don't mind selling for Justin Jefferson straight up. But if there's any, any sort of plus attached to trading C.D. Lamb for a Jamar Chase or a Justin Jefferson, I'm going to take it. So, yes, it may be uncomfortable, and I don't think that CeeDee Lamb is totally undeserving of this. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's in a Dallas Cowboys offense that put up a 29.5% target share in what's a high-powered offense, as we've seen in the last two years with Dak Prescott. It's not that he's undeserving, but there might be some very friendly market value deals you can make in still getting that level of elite-type wide receiver in Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. I love it. And I think you also bring up the 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 notion of tearing down where I trade a player and I get a player back plus a draft pick. And I think like if you're the the one here, here's an argument that somebody made in a, a show I was discussing CeeDee Lamb with actually Josh Larkey on an underdog context like this. And I thought what was one interesting thing I saw was CeeDee Lamb stays healthy. Jamar Chase doesn't. Jamar Chase has missed time more often in his career than CeeDee Lamb. Do we buy into that? Is that something that's just so random? Or is that something that you're like, you know, the fact that he's sort of an Iron Man and plays nearly every game in his career is something that needs to be a positive for CeeDee Lamb? Uh, no, I, I don't yeah. buy into that as much. I mean, especially in very most cases, like especially the PT injury doctors I follow, they say, Injury prone, yeah, sure, you may say it's a thing, but it's only true for like five guys in the league where it's a repeating nagging type injury that'll just never go away or something like that. I don't buy into a whole Iron Man role. I mean, injuries happen. It's it's the name of the game. I mean, next year, and obviously we wouldn't want this to happen, there's a chance that CeeDee Lamb goes down, and I'd say it's just as high as, you know, a Jamar Chase goes down 
or even Dak Prescott, like the surrounding assets, that alone does not persuade me any sort of one way because injuries are just way too random in a game that's already full of variants. When we talk about, you bring up Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, and I certainly think people can get around with you on that, that those are guys that I could tear down to from C.D. Lamb, and it's not really even a tear down. They're all sort of in that elite tier. So if I can get anybody in that elite tier plus, then I'm sort of betting on the elite profile rather than betting on the player. I think that's like high thinking in Dynasty. How about Amon Ross St. Brown? Does he fall into that category of, the truly elite difference maker along with Jefferson and Chase long-term uh, for you, Ian, would be a guy you'd pivot down from CD Lamb to? I'd say the lowest I'm willing to go in terms of just looking to get out of CD Lamb and get a decent plus without talking about, you know, getting too low. You're getting these multiple firsts or whatever. Might be Puka Nakua. I mean, if we're going to talk about 20-plus point-per-game scores, Puka Nakua is right on that path. And what he did as a rookie – like, it is kind of crazy when we talk, especially in dynasty terms, that Puka Nakua is like the wide receiver six in value or something like that. What I mean, there's not many wide receivers that could put up the best rookie season of all time and be outside the top five dynasty wide receivers. Like, after we talk about the best rookie wide receiver season of all time, and statistically, I mean, that's not really a debate. And I know that going down from CD to Puka, you can get a sizable plus on something like that. So while I'm not urging to, you know, rush out, sell CD lamb, there's some pretty solid market value deals with Puka Nakua, for example, where that's the lowest I go. And you're still getting a pretty solid plus on top. Interesting. You bring up Puka Nakua. Cause he was a guy I was going to ask you about now, just from a general, like if play, and again, we're not stockbrokers. I think a lot of times we get into the fact that it's like buy low, sell high, you know, we're not dealing with Apple. We're not talking about target. You know, you're not talking about a company. You're talking about players. There's a lot of different things that go into it. There's coaches. There's quarterback play. There's a defense being a shutout defense and potentially limiting your uh, ability to have, you know, shootout-type environments. There's a million variables that go into a player's success in fantasy. But you bring up Pukunakua. And Pukunakua, um, this is maybe the biggest riser we've ever seen at the wide receiver spot um, in underdog from one year to another uh, for a guy to go that low to now he's going ninth overall. And, you know, the, the and, and it's warranted. All he needs is 91 receptions, Ian, and he's or 92 receptions. And he set the two year all time high in NFL history this year, passing Justin Jefferson, Amon Ross St. Brown and Michael Thomas. Um, but fundamentally fundamentally is he a sell high based on the profile and i will say this in 160 targets this year to get him to all those points where are you at uh i see a guy that just earned 160 targets and i i love that i mean it's all about earning targets people want to look at target efficiency but it's the fact that people are earning them and it's not like puka de had any sort of bad target efficiency but i understand where he come from there but the game is full of outliers. And the sooner that you can identify them, like, yes, Puka Nakua, 100 times out of 100, is someone that I'm probably not going to be drafting, even kind of later in rookie drafts, because there's just better value bets to be making. But, yes, a Puka Nakua can come through every once in a while, but this game is full of outliers. So just looking at bus prospects, like day three guys uh, at the wide receiver position, the sooner you can get on these guys – 
the sooner you you can beat the market essentially like i loved buying puka nakua wide receiver 20 and i thought he was a terrible prospect and even if i was to redo the whole prospect system that i have he would still be a terrible prospect no matter how you do it a day three guy at the wide receiver position is basically impossible to find you know which guy's going to break out but it's full of outliers antonio brown brandon marshall tyree kill stefan diggs Amon Ross St. Brown. Those guys are day three, bus level prospects, not good prospects. The sooner you identify and you get on board that, okay, this guy's good. He just showed that he's good and he's going to put up high-end fantasy football success, then the, the better uh, market strategy, the better advantage that you have, the sooner you find and get on to guys like that rather than continuing to be pessimistic because, you know, he didn't get the draft capital. Like, yes, if you talk about draft capital – he shouldn't have done what he did in the first place, but he did. So moving forward, you have to be able to essentially that rookie season can erase a profile because you have to be able to move on. You don't want to, like I just, guys, I mentioned, don't miss out on year two Tyree Kill, year two Antonio Brown, year two Brandon Marshall, just because you didn't like them as prospects. And it's year two Amon Ross St. Brown. I don't even have to go back far enough, Ian. If anybody's played this game for a number of years, there's Amon Ross St. Brown as, as, as a big example. Amon Ross St. Brown was such a high, different than Puka because Amon Ross St. Brown really did it in the second half of his season. Uh, but the second half of his rookie season, he was basically doing what Puka Nakua did. And then there was all the calls to sell. The whole notion was he didn't have target competition. Then eventually they draft Jamison Williams and you were seeing people like trade Amon Ross St. Brown for like the 107, thinking that they've kind of found money here. Um, and that burned them completely. You bring up Tyree Kill. So like the the one thing that like the day three guys, when they hit big time, they usually don't disappear. There's not a whole lot of sample size of this day three guy had this unbelievable year and then sort of faded away. The only guy that I can think of that kind of came out of somewhat obscurity uh, to a point and had a wide receiver one season on from day three is like Hunter Renfro. And he was completely different than Puka Nakua. That was more of a scheme and injuries around him type thing. So Puka's interesting. How about this one? Puka Nakua, are you trying to trade for Garrett Wilson off of Puka Nakua with your Puka Nakua teams? Or do you think that that's a overthinking it a little bit? They both have elite type production in their outcomes. You don't want to kind of pay up for, for either. Or it would be a chance for me to say, hey, I'm going to go and get top 10 NFL draft pick Garrett Wilson, uh, who's had bad quarterback play and didn't was like a low end wide receiver two this year. Where are you? Where are you at in Wilson versus Nakua? Uh, I like both the guys. I think both guys are just fine at market value. Like them both. Think they both have very high end outcomes. That being said, I have more faith in the guy that just put up over 17 points per game as a rookie. Like, that's over five points per game of Garrett Wilson's high. Yes, he's played with terrible quarterback play. I even tweeted about Garrett Wilson because he could be a very uh, high upside, a very realistic high upside, like possible 18-point-per-game score. But with Puka Nakua, we don't even have to project what we haven't seen in a sense because we just saw it. He put up a near, like, top-five wide receiver season as a rookie. And like we just talked about with these, you know, even if you didn't like him as prospects – don't let that continue to burn you. Um, and Garrett Wilson, yes, he's a better prospect. But especially a guy going into year three, I'm not too concerned about a prospect profile. I want to see what he's done the first two years. And his peripherals are really solid. But again, when we talk about high-end upside, 
in a way, you're almost like, man, I hope Garrett Wilson can put up what Puka Nakua did as a rookie. So another guy that's sort of a litmus test um, would absolutely be considered a sell high by some. And others will say, hey, man, if you're selling, I'm buying. And that's Nico Collins. I think when it look at underdog, Nico Collins is, you know, we bring up Puka Nakua as a guy who gained all this best ball value and all this dynasty value a year from a year ago. Besides Puka Nakua, there was no greater gainer than Nico Collins. Nico Collins is wide receiver nine right now uh, in the underdog streets. And in dynasty, you know, he's worth more than a, than a low end first. Do you view Nico Collins as a guy to sell high? Or do you think you'd be potentially leaving some meat on the bone uh, like you would, uh, you know, in a lower context, like you would in Nakua? Yeah, I mean, I don't see Nico Collins as some world breaker in the same sense that I think Puka Nakua's level upside, especially because we saw it in a year three breakout in essentially what was one of the best passing offenses in the league. Um, that being said, the guy that I'm targeting on the Houston offense as far as wide receivers go is cheaper than Nico Collins. So if I can do some sort of Nico Collins to get Tank Dell Plus, yes. but what he like people are comparing, uh, and I've seen it a lot. They're comparing Nico Collins, Tank Dell on the field together. You know, who who earned the higher target share? Who was producing better? And sure, you can do that. But then take into account that one guy, this was his first year in the NFL, first year learning the NFL. This is Nico Collins' third season. I don't like first-year comparisons versus third-year comparisons. And the comparisons that we get from Tank Dell's rookie season are historic. I mean, when we talk about Tank Dell, we're talking about a guy that was top 10 before he left that game early was top 10 in terms of rookie production. The only rookies to post higher than what Tank Dell did as a rookie before getting hurt were Jamar Chase, Odell Beckham Jr., Justin Jefferson, Mike Evans, and Michael Thomas. That's the guy going into year two that I want, especially attached to a CJ Stroud offense. And so is Nico Collins, but he's more expensive heading into year four. And the fact that it's even a comparison from year one to year three, if I can get any sort of Nico Collins for Tank Dell Plus, I'm absolutely jumping on it. Yeah, he's he's definitely he's definitely uh one that I would also pivot off for Tank Dell as well. I the the whole argument that they're the same age versus a guy that did it in year one versus a guy who did it in year three, like I put so much more into being able to do it as a rookie uh versus at year three in your career than I do them being separated by nine months or something in actual real life age. Do you think that that's a poor argument? People making the real life age of or or like NFL experience is obviously a bigger driver for you, Ian. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny you say that because I do see NFL experience uh, is is a much bigger driver. I mean, the correlation went in terms of testing, the stickiness, uh, and you know the strength of a player versus when you take rookie versus age is much higher when you go towards experience. And that's something I actually recently did with the prospect process was I switched it up this year because I tested both and I was like, it's actually correlates higher to NFL success when I experience adjust so freshman, sophomore, junior, rather than looking at age, so like Marvin Harrison Jr., for example, he's an old junior, but counting him as a junior is what my process does now because experience adjusting at both the NFL level and college level while it may be somewhat close, sides with experience uh, adjusting, being a better form of uh, projecting further out. And especially just think about it logically, 
the guy who's never played in the NFL should not be held to the same standard that the guy who's in his third season is. Yeah, it's it's sort of a like, oh, you know, he got this big time improvement at the quarterback position. But at the end of the day, we've seen guys thrive with very crappy quarterback play in year one or year two if they're a truly elite player. It's just, you know, it's the nature of the beast. Uh, targets are targets and what you do with them matters. And Nico Collins took this meteoric uh, rise, you know, and he's still a guy that I'd like to have on my dynasty teams. We, I mean, the big takeaway for me is we want CJ Stroud players like guys attached to CJ Stroud all produced. And that even drops down to Dalton Schultz drops down to Devin Singletary. We, I mean, when we had contingent value for guys like Noah Brown. Uh, So yeah, that's, that's definitely an interesting one, but You've got a really interesting wide receiver and an interesting tight end to talk about. They're going to get people fired up. But before we do that, I want to talk about Trey McBride. Trey McBride, if you've been playing underdog, Trey McBride started out, I guess in they, they I guess they do like a default rankings before that people actually start drafting. And they defaulted where Trey McBride was, I believe, tight end seven. And he starts out behind Dalton Kincaid, passes him by. That's and that's actual drafters pushing him up. Then he passes George Kittle. Then he passed Mark Andrews, which seemed like a big resistance point because the underdog drafter is not necessarily uh, attacking youth like we are in Dynasty. But Trey McBride essentially is tight end three overall in redraft slash best ball. And in Dynasty, he's top five no matter what site you go to. Ian, it's the biggest move that we've seen since George Kittle year two, Jimmy Graham year two, to see what Trey McBride did between year one and year two. So like historically, he took a massive, massive leap. Um, Where are you at on Trey McBride? Is he a guy where, no, Theo, I have no interest in selling him because I view him as the next Travis Kelsey? Or is he, yeah, let's kick the, the, the tires and let's see what we can get for Trey McBride. Yeah, actually, it's funny that you say that, too, because bringing up Jimmy Graham and George Kittle, those guys rising up all those ranks proved to be worth it. They were great tight ends in their career, gave you you great seasons. So when you talk about Trey McBride, if we look at second-year tight ends to post a 26% target rate and two-plus yards per out run, there's only four names, one being Trey McBride, Two of the other ones being George Kittle and Jimmy Graham, who we just talked about, were the last kind of meteoric risers in the sense, and that proved out to be a good move. And the other one's Mark Andrews. So when, you, when you're amongst that company, and in just terms of production, it shows why he vaulted up there. And the other guys that, were, that we just talked about proved that that was a good move. You get that level of tight end success. That alone says that Trey McBride is worth what he's at. And, I mean, just talking about – comparing him not just to year two players, but to the whole NFL last year. Since Zach Ertz went down, no tight end scored higher than Trey McBride did. And that's in the whole NFL, not just second year players. He produced, he had the highest target rate among all tight ends last year. And he was second in yards per out run. Again, as a second year player comparing to all tight ends where sometimes the breakout is later. So Trey McBride is someone who has vaulted up enough, but it's absolutely warranted. And when we look at the other guys that you talked about that vaulted up this much, he is in their company in terms of production. And he's someone who I like investing right there. If anything, actually, I lean more that he's a buy. And he's part of the reason why this next guy that you and me are about to talk about that maybe Dynasty gamers aren't going to be a fan of, 
there's a reason why this next guy I think is a sell, and part of it has to do with someone like Trey McBride. Before we dive into that player, I want to I want to go into one curveball wide receiver. Rashi Rice, much like McBride, is getting steamed up by the underdog market. When it comes to dynasty, I think most people have him comfortably inside of wide receiver two land. But when it comes to best ball slash redraft, Rashi Rice is all the way up to wide receiver 12. So he's in wide receiver one land. I don't know if he's going to rise much higher than this, but we're talking about a guy who last year was the second Kansas City wide receiver drafted. Like, And sometimes he was going off the board as the third Kansas City wide receiver selected behind Kadarius Toney, behind Sky Moore. Obviously, that was false. And Rashi Rice has completely earned this. But is this the time to trade Rashi Rice? And Ian, this one will make some people sick. Because if I drafted Rashi Rice last year in like single QB, I was getting him in the second round of my rookie drafts. And all of a sudden, I have Patrick Mahomes' potential wide receiver one for many seasons to come. He played great in the second half of the season. Uh, But is he at a peak dynasty value? Your thoughts on Rashi Rice? I I think the funny thing when it comes to Rashi Rice is that you just talked about on underdog. He's getting vaulted up to wide receiver one status. That alone tells me that he's a buy. Because when we look at dynasty market sites like Sleeper ADP, Fantasy Trade Calc, where we're not talking about redraft, it's crazy to me that we have a second-year player when you look at all these sites where his highest value is in redraft. Because on dynasty sites, Fantasy Trade Calc, he's much lower than that. Keep Trade Cut, much lower than that. Sleeper ADP, a good bit lower than that. And the fact that a second-year player has a higher redraft ADP than dynasty ADP should tell you all that you need to know that this guy is someone you should buy. And then if you just want to look at, you know, peripherals-wise, who did he produce like? When we talk about wide receivers to post at least 12 points per game like he did while not being in a full-time role, that we saw how good he was because he posted an 85-plus PFF receiver grade, the only other wide receivers to post that level of production with that level of efficiency in terms of PFF grade, Odell Beckham Jr., Justin Jefferson, Garrett Wilson, Michael Thomas, Terry McLaurin, Pukunakua, and Rasheed Rice, like being that level of company. And then you add in the fact that he's attached to a Patrick Mahomes level offense that's going to be one of the best for, I mean, as far as most of your dynasty leagues are going to go and beyond. Rasheed Rice, for many reasons, I think in dynasty is a buy. But the fact that he is higher in redraft than he is on dynasty sites should tell you you should probably buy right now. Yeah, it's super interesting. And I think that there's sort of an uh, an idea in dynasty that we have Rashi Rice there. Yeah, he's he's there. But Kansas City could get a Mike Evans. Kansas City might draft a wide receiver at the end of the, of the first round. So there'll be a little bit more like legit target competition there let alone Travis Kelsey because I think that that's like the 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 he's the longevity of Travis Kelsey I believe he will play next year but I don't think he's long for the NFL uh Rasheed Rice is super interesting I'll give you one real world Rasheed Rice uh trade okay this is a single QB FFPC league this is my own team I have a, a Saquon Barkley team and I'm I'm not like looking to dump every Saquon share but I have too much Saquon for an older running back Saquon Barkley and the 112, or Rashi Rice and the 207? How enthusiastic are you on Rashi Rice? Man, that's tough. I think <laughs> I think I lean Saquon because I did. Well, 
it, especially in Dynasty, maybe you side Rasheed Rice, although the warp probably leans Saquon Barkley for the next season, maybe the season after, and will likely have higher production. I would just rather have the higher pick involved with Saquon, who probably still has a good chance of outproducing Rasheed Rice in terms of points per game, especially at a position where high points per game is not uh, as common uh, with running backs compared to wide receivers. I like that move, getting Saquon and the higher pick. And I'm someone that's a big fan of Rasheed Rice right now. Yeah, I I, I turned down the Rasheed Rice offer uh, begrudgingly. Um, my team's a contender. And again, like that 112 will give me... Not, we're, we're not trying to talk too much 2024 rookies, except for one guy you're going to talk about. Um, but that 112 could turn into like the RB1 in this class like very easily. It might be like the running back two off the board, running back three off the board when it's all said and done in a single QB league. I could also turn it into a high-end wide receiver if a couple running backs get steamed up. So not to get too like rookie draft game theory with you. But you have two players, Ian, that we got to talk about. And I think that the first one might get people incredibly sick. There is a clear-cut 101 in single QB leagues. He's already being drafted as a wide receiver one on underdog. And it's, I don't even want to say his name because that makes me sick that you want to sell him already. Why don't you talk about your 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 sell high wide receiver player? My sell high for uh, contenders, I will say. Contenders a little more specifically. But I'm kind of fine selling him in most builds. At least looking how dynasty sites are already valuing this guy. And that's Marvin Harrison Jr. We're talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. We're talking about someone whose dynasty value is not that far off from Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, CD Lamb, guys who we talked about being 20 point per game scores and are just heading into their fourth season, their third season. Like there's still a ton of longevity. Marvin Harrison Jr. right now being talked about as the wide receiver four in dynasty is a bit crazy, especially because like we talk about Puka Nakua, the best rookie wide receiver of all time. And you could get a pretty plus going from Harrison Jr. to Puka Nakua. And I've seen it on Twitter polls, dynasty value charts. It's definitely feasible. So I like Marvin Harrison Jr., the prospect. I like him a lot. He's an elite plus prospect for me. But he's being vaulted so high that the downside risk obviously outweighs the upside risk. Like if you talk about Marvin Harrison Jr. having a fantastic rookie season, you're still going to have to find a hard time putting them in the wide receiver three range when you're competing with CD, Justin Jefferson, and Jamar Chase, who are already shown they could be 20-point per game scores and are still young, to where if Marvin Harrison Jr. just has a good or very good season, the value could just fall. And the fact that you could trade him for a guy right now that's likely to outproduce and isn't even 25 years old, basically straight across, should tell you that you could love Marvin Harrison Jr., but likely the better thing to optimize your dynasty value is probably flip him and gain production while gaining other assets along with it. I, again, I like Marvin Harrison Jr., but the reasons to sell outweigh you know any reasons for me to hold on to him or buy him uh, if people really want to buy at that current wide receiver four-level price. It's spicy. It's very, very spicy. So like – where so for Marvin Harrison Jr., I'll give you a couple of real world trades that I think you can get done. Okay, Marvin Harrison Jr., you're trading the 101 in single QB leagues, or you want if you want to call it the 102 in Superflex, however, you guys want to spin this. The 101 in a single QB league, or would you rather have Garrett Wilson 
and a random 2025 first. Oh, I want the first in Garrett Wilson there. Garrett Wilson's also a great prospect, has shown what he could do in his first two years and will be getting better QB play and getting future first, especially with guys who you can like, yeah, maybe I'll take Harrison Jr. straight up. Maybe it's close. But the fact that it's close and I can get a first attached, that's what I want. I think another one that I've seen a lot, especially on Twitter, is you could trade Marvin Harrison Jr., say the 102, maybe out a third or a fourth, move back to the 105, in this case Malik Neighbors, and get another first. Like getting a first on a guy who I think Marvin Harrison Jr. and Malik Neighbors are much similar level outcome players or prospects than most people are giving credit for. Like just talking about Malik Neighbors, this guy had a better career highs during his collegiate career in fantasy points per game, target share, yards per team pass attempt, PFF receiving grade, yards per outrun, and he's a full year younger than Marvin Harrison Jr. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is a good prospect, as I've said. I think Malik Neighbors is right there up with him. And the fact that you could get similar level prospects and one has a first round pick attached to it, that that just makes me want to sell Marvin Harrison Jr. that much more. Yeah, it's it's super spicy. And I'll say one big takeaway is uh, Dynasty Life, all of my guests and, and myself included are like head over heels for Malik Neighbors. Uh, and I think that, you know, pivoting down from the 101 to the 102 it's a it's a closer the gap is closer than a lot of uh, dynasty managers realize right now with just how special Malik Neighbors is. There's also a scenario in that Malik Neighbors lands better than Marvin Harrison Jr. Let's say there's a scenario that Marvin Harrison Jr. is selected at the 103 to New England with you know Ian Miller and Theo Greminger as his quarterback year one. Uh well no you know no no disrespect to Bailey Zappi or whoever whatever they want to bring off the street. But then, then Malik Neighbors goes to Kyler Murray in Arizona or Justin Herbert in Los Angeles. Those two scenarios like exist, um, where you know you, all of a sudden that 102 becomes worth uh, the moon. So uh, I think that's super interesting. Uh, how about I'll give you one more: Garrett Wilson and this year's 112, not a random one in a single QB league or Marvin Harrison Jr. So now you're dealing with, you kind of know the guys available to you in the 112. None are like lead pipe locks to dominate in Dynasty, whereas that random 2025 first could turn into the 105 next year in like a loaded running back class. Yeah, especially in one quarterback where 112 is a bit lower. I still almost want to cite Garrett Wilson, but the reason that I'll just say Marvin Harrison Jr. is because between now and when the season starts, usually when a rookie's value is already what it is, especially going into the draft where Marvin Harrison Jr. is almost a lock to be that high of a pick. Probably not much in his dynasty value changes between now and when the season starts, which you can't say for all players. So if I'm taking Marvin Harrison Jr., I'm pretty comfortable that the dynasty community will continue to value him at the wide receiver four because that's where they already value him. Then I'm fine just holding because I think there are better packages that you can get and you don't have to force feet or force yourself into selling him when in all reality, you could still get fantastic prices on him likely for the next, you know, five, six months. Here's one more interesting one. Cause you bring up the fact that Marvin Harrison jr. Is the one is the, is the one Oh four basically for wide receivers uh, in terms of enthusiasm, in terms of where he's going to go in startups, he seems to have passed Amon Ross St. Brown and Amon Ross St. Brown's a guy that we've seen have truly elite production. Is this a 
tier up slightly where would you trade the 101 in single QB and then maybe throw on like the 301 to get Amon Ross St. Brown? Is that a move you're looking to make where you tear up for Marvin Harrison Jr. as opposed to a tear down where we talked about Garrett Wilson? I think I probably hold there. And that being that I think there's a good chance, especially when you talk about like, we're talking about 2024 rookie players right now. And what we've seen in the last three years is that these guys either stay the same in terms of value or they take a good rise as draft type gets closer. The actual pick makes sense. I think there's a good chance that, you know, just a couple months from now, you could trade Marvin Harrison Jr. straight up or even get the plus on the Amon Ross St. Brown side to where I'd say right now, you're fine holding. There's no stress. The asset's not going to fall from beneath you. It's a very safe asset right now. And in a couple months, it may be worth more to where you didn't even have to give up that third round pick in, in a game that, you know, we talk about football game of Mitch's dynasty fantasy football is a game of very slim margins. So if I can hang on to that third, use it in a different deal, then that's something I'm going to do just for waiting a couple months. So that's one where that's, that's kind of how I view it. Um, and if I want Amon Rice and Brown, I could probably get him straight up or even with a plus in just a couple months. Very, very interesting stuff with that one-on-one. And Ian, the next player you're going to talk about at the tight end position is going to get people literally sick to their stomachs. Right now, the number one tight end in Dynasty everywhere is Sam Laporta. The number one tight end on Underdog is Sam Laporta. The number one tight end on FFPC is Sam Laporta and you are interested in potentially trading Sam Laporta. Make your case of selling high on last year's tight end one overall, the first time we've ever seen a tight end one overall uh, out of a rookie. Yes, Uh, and this one has, it's almost nothing against Sam Laporta himself. It was a very, very good rookie season, one of the best we've ever seen from a tight end, and it comes in a fantastic offense. There is a ton to like about Sam Laporta. He's going to be productive again next season. But let's, for example, talk about the guy we just did in Trey McBride. I mean, we talked about him in his year two company in terms of production. Since week eight, when he left, there was no tight end that scored higher than him. And that's that's Trey McBride, who was just in his second year going into year three, still very young. And when we talk about Trey McBride, we put him alongside the company of George Kittle, Jimmy Graham, Mark Andrews. I'm sure if you went back to the early parts of their career, you just want to buy him and just forever play them because there's going to be such high production at the tight end spot with those guys. So we like Trey McBride almost as much as any other dynasty tight end. Trey McBride, in terms of fantasy trade calc, one of my favorite sites to use for consensus value, he's the 53rd highest asset in dynasty. Sam Laporta has double the value, if you just look at rankings, at 27th overall in dynasty. So you're talking about a couple rounds difference to get guys that were like, we believe will score close to the same. And we've already seen one score as the best tight end since Zach Ertz went down. So the fact that there's that big of a value gap is more of the reason why I want to sell Laporta or even talk about Brock Bowers, who's right there with Trey McBride. We're talking about what's possibly the best tight end prospect to come into the league. And there's a good chance, you know, he has a good landing spot. And again, there's a couple rounds different. It's not that I think that Sam Laporta can't repeat that he's not a very good tight end. It's the fact that you could actually not just get a plus, you could get a very meaningful, pretty high-valued plus to trade down to a guy who we do projections before the season, 
probably ends up with a very close, if not the same, or even better projection in terms of median outcome for producing in 2024 than Sam Laporta. So the fact that you have two guys who are both very young, they could produce close to the same, or even Brock Bowers, who's coming in the league, who will have a ton of likely value wherever he gets drafted, you could get a very solid plus. And the fact that you can do that is why I think it's a good time as any to sell Sam Laporta. Man, it's it's a, you make such a good case for this. It would be incredibly uncomfortable. But if you're telling me I get like Brock, ba- I'd almost be more interested in the Brock Bowers plus uh, Trey McBride. Like I'm into, but I just think Sam Laporta to me is is as my preferred player there. Uh, I do think one thing that's interesting is Laporta has 120 targets this year. Ian, there's a chance that that's what he is though. And we talk about like truly tight end one overall type guys. Like if you look at back some of the Travis Kelsey seasons, those are like 150 targets, 140 targets consistently. And I know it might seem close enough, but getting through that to that 140 target window when you're surrounded by Amon Ross St. Brown, and then you're also surrounded by Jameer Gibbs, which we fully anticipate. Like I think Jameer Gibbs if any running back in the NFL is going to get 25 more receptions next year, it's Jameer Gibbs. And I don't think that's even like out of the question because uh, I think they'll trust him a lot more. Um, and I think he'll, you know, start the year without like the weird splits with Montgomery. Uh, so I think the the one argument that you didn't bring up, I think was the, the cap target ceiling for Laporta. Unless there was an injury to Amon Ross St. Brown, it's difficult for me to see him get to 150 targets. And if I'm getting 120 targets for a tight end, that's still an elite number for a tight end, but I'm going to need to have him continue getting, you know, eight, nine, 10 touchdown seasons. If he simply goes from 10 touchdown catches down to six, then all of a sudden he's like tight end five. And those, that makes a huge difference when you're, when you're using that sort of capital there. But uh, man, I, 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 we, I had all these other plans for this show where we we're going to talk about all these, these buys and all that sort of stuff. Do you have any more, uh, any more sell high candidates that would make you kind of uncomfortable uh, and get the get the people talking here, Ian. Yeah, and just to piggyback your point one more time on Sam Laporta, is that projecting tight ends from their rookie season is a bit difficult to do so because we don't have as high of a sample size. There's a lot more fluctuation in uh, in terms of tight ends target performing, uh, how they're being used. So, for example, Sam Laporta had the second highest target share ever by a rookie tight end. You know who had the highest? Evan Ingram and obviously everyone loved Evan Ingram after his sec or after his rookie season and most people still like him but not close to the same when you saw this guy and you're like wow he could be truly amazing now Sam Laporta could of course but when it's harder to project and the fact that you can get these assets for trading back for tight ends that we still really like and have plenty of tight end one outcomes tight end one overall outcomes with a very pretty plus is again why I think that Sam Laporta is kind of a sell at this point. But if I was to hit on any other sell high, we've talked about, again, looking at market value. The highest sell in terms of market value that I said was Marvin Harrison Jr. Then we just talked about Laporta. The next guy I have on this list is Justin Fields, who, yes, you can like Justin Fields, while also admitting that he hasn't been a good passer in his first three seasons in the NFL. That's not... I mean, that's not a debate. He has not been a good passer uh, since he's been in the NFL. When we look at his value right now, yes, it's not what it was last year. He's still a fringe round two startup pick beginning around three, 
But when we look at startup value and fantasy trade calc, the guys that we see behind him and picks wise are guys like Drake May, Jaden Daniels, guys who have that high rushing upside will have high end draft capital. So it's a much better floor for them because they could have an abysmal year one or not a great year one or just an average year one. And their value from what we've seen in rookie quarterbacks won't fall. Whereas Justin Fields case, if he doesn't have a good year for likely on a new team, the value is going to plummet. In fact, there's, there's cases where we're talking about him not even being a starting quarterback. And obviously that's a very low outcome, but that's not an outcome that we get in Drake may Jane Daniels. So you're resetting the clock and you're giving yourself a higher upside because what's more likely is a guy to break out as a passer in year four is far more unlikely than a rookie passer to show himself as a good passer who we haven't seen yet at the NFL level. So the fact that I could take Justin Fields right now and basically re-roll kind of like the bears, you can re-roll Justin Fields into a higher floor, higher upside asset. And in terms of likelihood in Drake may Jaden Daniels, that makes me want to take Justin Fields and go out and sell him and maybe even get a plus on something like that. Yeah, I think that, that would be a no brainer. I think what becomes even more interesting is you bring up like, you know, where will he be next year? Everybody sort of has this assumption that the market for him is going to be hot, but we have to get out of our minds that we're looking at fantasy stats, whereas teams in the NFL are looking at things like the fact that he's 10 and 28 as a starter. And that's not all his fault. That's certainly not all his fault. There's been some really bad things going on in Chicago, but at the end of the day, 10 and 28 is 10 and 28. The market might not be as hot as, as we think. I think he's naturally a, a guy to, to move on from if you can get something back. And if certainly if you can get Drake May or Jaden Daniels, that's an absolute no-brainer. Uh, Ian, this was awesome. Let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, so you can find me. I have my Patreon where I'm basically doing this kind of form form stuff daily. Uh, today we just did a buy-sell, and it helped me a ton for this show, just seeing current market value, who I like, who I don't like. Uh, we do that kind of stuff every week. We do breakdowns. We got the full 2024 uh, prospect profiles where we're ranking and we're going in depth with them. Uh, and you can find me over on Twitter at dynasty underscore I am where there's links to that kind of stuff. And I started a TikTok, dynasty I am, but thank you for having me. Uh, yeah. Absolutely love doing the show. I clearly am in an elite group, whether I fit in or not, of guys to return to this show. Um, so yes, thank you for the opportunity. This was absolutely awesome. You're a real real one, Ian. I highly recommend everybody check out his work. There's going to be some cool stuff Ian's dropping all throughout the offseason. Uh, and we'll have you back in here at Dynasty Life. And I got to get you back on FutureCast too, Ian, because that rookie draft was a lot of fun. We got to do it again, man. Uh, but stick with us here at Dynasty Life. Check out their episode recently with Ray Garvin. I got Shane from Dynasty Trades in 5 coming on uh, sometime very soon. Uh, and then we have a bunch of really fun guests uh, on the woodwork. I got Curtis Patrick, Ryan McDowell, a couple other big hitters. We want to get you the sharpest voices in Dynasty right here on Dynasty Life on a weekly basis. We got you covered for every one of your Dynasty team needs. Uh, and have a great weekend. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all of this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content 
is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.